BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. And this is a show about the supernatural with the upside down and showing with superpowers. You're like, oh, right, he's in the middle of fighting this insane Demogorgon in a Russian prison. Will Elle get her powers back in time? And you knew it was going to happen today. Like, you knew. Dominated the screen whenever he was on it. Welcome to the big stream, the new pop culture movie tv podcast from the big lead.com my name is stephen douglas from the big lead making his big stream debut joining me is my co-worker and best friend liam McEwen. great to be here best friend really feeling good about it it's an honor to make my big stream debut for episode three you and uh kyle coster our other best friend did a tremendous job in the first two so i just hope to live up to the standard and then set the standard for our listeners that they're in for a fun time every time they choose to be in. There's really no other way to look at it. Uh, today we are here to discuss season four of Stranger Things, which came out in, I think, May originally. Yeah, the end of May. And then the final two mega episodes came out on July 1st. Liam, how'd you like it? Well, uh, overall, big picture, I liked it a lot. I can't lie. I really, uh, I enjoyed this season a lot. I think season three, I think a lot of people would agree, wasn't wasn't the best. And like many, I kind of fell off on the Stranger Things passion, passionate fan train after season three. Season three didn't feel like it made a lot of sense. And the characters didn't really make that much personal progress there was still a lot of fun moments and what have you but you know you look back in ret- in retrospect it's a it's a bridge season a little bit and then the it's the bridge season to season four i thought season four was a very good story i thought that it was uh told well i thought there was a lot of good character development i thought that it returned to probably the most overall scary vibe since season one when it was originally billed as kind of like a combination of a horror and a kid's show, it was obviously very, very violent. Um, And there were some really tremendous acting performances in there. Overall, I thought it was personally for me, the strongest season since the debut season that set off an electric series for Netflix. I, I I think I agree with you on most of that. Um, I don't, I don't really remember much about season two and season three. 
And I, I think it's weird that this is a summer series. I I feel like string, this just feels like something that should be coming out in uh, late September, early October to like go along with Halloween. It's just got that vibe. And I'm surprised to see that the first season actually did come out in July. It's, it's one of those series where I, I love the entirety of the universe and seeing, you know, just spending time with any of these characters is pretty, pretty entertaining most of the time. I was, there was a lot in season four. I, I kind of feel the same way, like you fell off the hype train, but I still, when they announced season four, it got closer. I was still excited, but then it started and I'm like, is, was Murray a big part of this? All of a sudden he's the main character. I, I have no idea if he was a main character previously. Um, everybody was really spread out. Overall, yeah, it was very good, but I, I think, I don't know, I feel like they might have been trying to cover too much ground. I mean, the whole Russia um, into the wilderness to rescue Hopper was a little much. I mean, and this is a show about the supernatural with the upside down and children with superpowers. And I'm like, I, I just don't know about this lady taking a plane to uh, rescue her boyfriend from a Russian jail. I'm inclined to agree with you there. I see what they were trying to do. They were trying to break out of having Hawkins be pretty much the only setting for the show. They had three full seasons on it. You get that they need to branch out a little bit, especially with the way they decided to conclude season three that involved Elle, um, Will, and Joyce, and Jonathan all moving to somewhere else because, you know... Hawkins is really messed up and all that stuff. But it did feel like, I think you, you hit it on the nose there, they overextended themselves a little bit. They had Hopper in Russia, and then they had Will and all those guys in California, and then they had the core crew in Hawkins. And the different perspective jumps kind of felt like a lot, I think, at times. And I think my biggest problem with what they were trying to do there is that the show is at its best when everything is in Hawkins. And I get that they couldn't have been in Hawkins for the entire season again. Like at some point, you know, you got to be realistic and like get out of there. And Hopper's entire arc is its own separate thing. But the whole season, they were spread out until the last 10 minutes, essentially. And I think if they had pulled everybody together a little bit quicker, it really would have helped a lot because while the Hopper's storyline was super entertaining it was somehow easy to forget about I found like it would pop back up and you're like oh right he's in the middle of fighting this insane demogorgon in a (laughs) Russian prison where secret Russian prison secret Russian prison secret Russian prison in between getting abused by the guards then he gets saved by some guy named the peanut butter smuggler I mean if like that was its own show or something maybe not its own show but if that was like a half season storyline would have loved it dragging it out for a full season i'm not so sure how effective that was and i feel like the fact that they had all these grand different adventures going on so physically far away kind of took away from how meaningful they are where they all were outside of obviously the immediate vecna scenes which were all super good and you felt very tense during those yeah, I think Stranger Things, one of their main problems, and I mean, they don't have many, it's still a fantastic show, but one of their problems is something that Millie Bobby Brown, she said that something about the characters, not enough characters dying, and the creators are like, well, this isn't Game of Thrones. 
but that's the thing there you need to have the stakes to make us keep caring and the unwillingness to uh give any real consequences to any of the main characters it kind of gives it that uh entourage thing where it's like the movie's off that well you know we've caught the peanut butter smuggler the movie's back on they're just kind of we have to go through these motions of will l get her powers back in time um yes she will we know she will will steve die in the upside down no probably not and no he doesn't they and then before the last two episodes dropped they said that oh yeah there's gonna be a body count it's gonna be like five people and like one of them is the evil guy who the evil doctor who had already died once uh the big disappointment was uh eddie munson dying who was uh fan favorite he was kind of he became an awesome character it was it was disappointing to see him go because there was a lot like with uh what happened with steve in the first season i think where it's like yeah you don't really kind of like this guy in the beginning but then they do a great job of kind of making him uh one of the people you're rooting for we know that hopper's gonna get out of the prison we know they're gonna get back to hawkins and have the big hug scene at the end it's just it kind of takes away the stakes i think i mean yeah i get what you're saying and i think on the other side of it, there is a point that the Duffer brothers made insofar as you don't need to have main characters die in order to make the stakes feel meaningful. And I also think that there's an interesting larger conversation to be had about how bad is it really that they stick to their tropes and just do it over and over again. But I do agree that for the fourth season of the show, for how much of a budget they have and how much leeway I assume they have when it comes to creating all this stuff, that they choose to do the same things over and over again is not, I mean, it, it, it could use some variety. They execute it very well at this point. I mean, you know, you talked about Eddie. Eddie is now the peak example of any Stranger Things character who shows up, is kind of a jerk, gets persecuted, everybody loves them, and then they brutally die. We have had that character in each season to varying degrees with some differences, in every season of Stranger Things. And you knew it was gonna happen with Eddie. Like you knew. You knew halfway through when he started to ingratiate himself with everybody who was still in Hawkins that this dude was dead. And it wasn't gonna be Steve, it wasn't gonna be Nancy, it wasn't gonna be one of the kids, that's for sure. Somebody had to die because they have to keep the stakes somewhat high. And especially with the way that they like to really bring in the realistic violence into this show to make sure that it doesn't just stay a kid show about Dungeons and Dragons that becomes real. You knew that somebody was gonna die and it was gonna be Eddie. And that was, that's okay. They did it really well. Like yeah. I was very sad when he died, even though I knew he was going to die. I knew that he did not have a long-term future with this group. I was still sad. But it is, I mean, the bigger problems with them doing the same thing over and over again come in other people's stories. Like Elle with her powers, like you said. And then Will spent another season as just kind of like a traumatized teenager who struggles to express himself and then doesn't do anything of importance until the very end where he's like, actually, the danger isn't gone. And, and Will, I, I don't think Will has completely expressed himself in all the ways that he, I mean, they're certainly building towards him coming out, right? Yeah, they have to be. And I don't, love that the way that the, the way they're doing that because it's kind of like 
they dedicated this entire season for Will was only about him dealing with those feelings. He largely dealt with those feelings in his head with just the occasional emotional outburst. And then nothing was concluded and it ended up being a bridge plot into the next season, which is not a bad thing on its own, but for somebody who's supposed to be a main character and who did basically nothing else this season, except for dealing with that. I don't know, I did not, I was not a fan, we'll say, of them deciding to carry that on into like a two season arc with Will dealing with presumably his sexuality, it could be something else, but just the general idea of him dealing with all this stuff in his head, like it doesn't really make for fantastic television, especially since Will isn't like the reason that all of this is happening. He was not all of it, as we found out with through Elle's flashbacks, but he was like the second domino to topple. He used to be really important. And now he's kind of just tagging along being sad. Like, like, yeah, you have the right to be sad, but they should get him involved a little bit more. It was my thought on it after finishing. Yeah. I, and I think that he, I mean, he should certainly feel like he is in a very supportive uh, place with his, I mean, his brother's like, I love you no matter what. And Mike's like, Mike was there being very supportive right there with him. And it's like, he, you would hope that he would feel comfortable and just get it out there. And then that's just, that's not how his character is defined. That's just part of him, whatever. That's just one small issue. I mean, the big, the big thing is like that whole storyline where they have to like go there. I mean, they go from what California to Utah back to Indiana because they have to, the only person they know that is a hacker is uh dustin's ex-girlfriend that was also very strange her entire home life with her father and her weird family her huge weird family i mean that's just more stuff that really you cut that out and you don't need a uh four-hour season finale (laughs) yeah i had some thoughts on the length that i mentioned to you personally outside of this podcast I even did an entire post for the website on the big lead about how the season finale of season four of Stranger Things was longer than many blockbuster films. But I think my biggest problem, and this will be the last negative thing that we'll talk about before we get onto the positive stuff so people don't think we hate this, is that they had a two hour and 22 minute long season finale and still had a time jump in there that smoothed over a lot of maybe kind of crucially important points, which really has bothered me more and more since watching the finale when it came out on July 1st. After they take down Vecna and Hawkins gets super fucked up and they do the two-day time jump. The two-day time jump skipped any sort of mourning for Eddie, which I thought was really unfortunate, especially with the repeated criticism of the Duffer brothers about the fact that they kind of tend to forget about characters once they're dead. The fact that they just chose to skip. I mean, Eddie was really important. He really ingratiated himself with these guys. He had a lot of one-on-one moments with Steve and with Nancy and even with Robin. I mean, there was a Dustin. I mean, there was a lot of interpersonal connection going on. And then the only one who cared at the end of it was Dustin. And they might refer to him fondly in the next season, but there should have, I mean, how much longer would the episode have been if they took two minutes to have 
Dustin and Nancy and uh, Steve and Robin all meet up and it's like, what happened to Eddie? He sacrificed himself for us. Oh no, that's, that's it. And then the other side of it is that Elle apparently just sat in the car off, all the way from Utah for those whole two days without mentioning to anybody else in the car that Max had died and that she brought her back to life. And I know that she didn't tell anybody that she ended up bringing her back to life, but that wasn't something she mentioned. And then they just kind of sum all that up by them rolling up to the house and Dustin being like, oh, you haven't heard. Like, no, Dustin, they haven't heard. They've yeah. been across the country as far as you know this entire time, man. Nobody knows Max is in the hospital. I just didn't get it. I didn't understand the decision. It felt to me like a shortcut that they kind of felt they needed to take because they were running too long, but it was already two hours and 22 minutes. How much longer would it really have made any difference if they just threw in a couple of scenes that made the story a little bit more cohesive and a little bit more coherent and then did the time jump i just didn't get it that was my biggest gripe with the season is that the finale as a whole was outstanding i despite the fact that it was almost two and a half hours long i enjoyed every moment it felt like it went by really quickly and then they just kind of threw a wrench in there at the end with the time jump that really rubbed me the wrong yeah the episode length i i feel like that's something that david simon started with the sopranos where you just there's no more standardized seasons like Kyle and I just uh, watched The Bear and talked about like they took as long as they needed to tell that story and it was broken up into seven 20 minute episodes and one 45 minute episode. I feel like Stranger Things they're just like well we need these epic episode lengths when like those last two episodes could just been four like mostly normal length episodes. I mean, you, I don't know how many exactly hours there are in the season, but it, was, it would probably would have been like 10 or 12 one-hour episodes. I mean, this isn't a movie theater. You're at home. You can pause it anyway. So what is it? Why not just, why not just do one 12-hour movie? <laughs> I mean, why do you need any breaks at all? I mean, if people can just pause it on their own. I mean... I don't know. That's, that's just something that annoys me when people... when these guys that have all this creative control, they kind of, they just go crazy with this just random episode length just because they can, not because they need to. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's go back to some of the more positive things. Um, I, I did like uh, Elle's, the backstory. I like how they tied it all in. I thought that made sense. It wasn't completely necessary, but uh, seeing the, origin of Vecna and how El created it and everything got started uh, was I thought that was a good way to tie it all back to the beginning I uh, yeah I really enjoyed it I thought it was a it was just cool like it was neat to consider for the first time that everything is kind of connected in that way and to be able to really trace all the way back to the first domino was really enjoyable and most importantly, I got to say, I thought the MVP of season four had to have been Jamie Campbell Bauer, who played Vecna slash number one slash Henry Creel. I thought he was tremendous. I think Netflix posted something to their social media profiles that he did the voice for Vecna on his own. He didn't use like a voice alterator or anything. So the range this guy showed in this season was really excellent. I thought that especially for his particular character, like the facial expressions and kind of like manner of speaking was really important. And he dominated the screen 
whenever he was on it. Even early on when he was just trying to help Eleven, I really felt like he was a, a strong presence and felt at the time that he was wasted in the role that he was. Obviously, I ended up being wrong about that, but I really, really enjoyed him. And I didn't love L being sequestered away like that for the entire time and going back into the same kind of basic issues that she'd had previously. But if they were going to do that, they did it really, really, really well. They they kind of they showed that the bullying is what uh or the being mean is what kind of unleashed her powers, what helped her focus in the beginning, along with the I guess it was the pain from uh, her mom. But what I was surprised was that they didn't tie back in the bullying from the beginning of the season uh, when she was from all the teenagers at the roller rink. That was like yeah, some very powerful Carrie-esque stuff. And I thought that that was going to be like, something like that was going to trigger that memory at the end to give her the powers. I don't really know what it was for other than heavy-handed foreshadowing, I guess. I'm not totally sure either because it was like very dramatic and there was a lot of blood going on and all that jazz. And I guess it did serve as a bit of a function to get Elle into the legal system that allowed the military to find her. But they did just they they just kind of didn't address that ever again. Like she got over all her issues except for the time where she bludgeoned a girl with a roller skate. <laughs> like that's kind of a for somebody like Elle who's very afraid of like hurting people when they don't deserve it sort of thing. That seems like kind of a crazy thing to just be like ah she's over it whatever. But it was a it was a good scene I guess it was it was fun to watch even if it didn't mean anything. <laughs> Yeah, there it was it was some incredible violence, just absolutely insane violence, just smashing someone's face with a roller skate. What do you think of uh of the jocks and uh the basketball team and turned vigilantes? <laughs> I thought Jason was the scariest non-Vecna person in the show. He a tremendous job by the actor, thought that was a really great performance, but he was unhinged and you can all like the problem is that you can kind of follow the line of thinking there. Like yeah. he's been around for all of this truly satanic shit to be happening. And his girlfriend dies in like an awful, awful way. And he finally snaps and like, you're like, okay, I get that. And it was just, it was frightening to see him kind of spiral mentally. I thought that was, it was enjoyable. I think conceptually throwing them in there was perhaps a little bit unnecessary given all of the other like terrible things that were going on there was just a lot going on in this season overall to the point where I like almost didn't remember what you were talking about when you said the jocks and the basketball team but again they did it they did it really well and I think it was it was kind of a it was a fun character evolution for Lucas I thought I really because I think he perhaps more than all the other ones has kind of been left by the wayside when it comes to his own personal growth. And this season didn't fix all that, but it certainly gave him a hefty shove in the right direction there. Yeah. It was, a, it was a big year for Lucas um, getting to do something else, kind of break away from the group, getting to choose the right side, you know, choosing his friends over the cool kids and yeah, the basketball team, they, they do a great job of showing, of turning, like, showing just how much evil there is with just, like, normal people. 
mm. and how mean and just bloodthirsty they can be and this is just without without any of the uh the supernatural stuff and i thought that they that last thought on this is that every season there needs to be something going on parallel with the plot to remind everybody that these are just middle schoolers and high schoolers yeah and that's what this was lucas was like i want to be part of the popular kids so then i'll never be bullied again and then we won't be bullied again and it's like okay yeah and then on then the next scene they have a nerd getting like ripped in half by Vecna. So it did, I mean, that's an important part of the show at large. And I think that this was probably my favorite little like meaningless side plot that makes you kind of realize what the stakes are there. I enjoy, I, I liked it a lot. Um, I have a big question for you. Hmm. Okay. Eddie's guitar scene, you wrote a post about it when the trailer came out for thebiglead.com that it might be the sickest on-screen shredding since the Mad Max guitarist in Mad Max Fury Road. So having now seen both, how do those scenes compare in your mind? Uh, the Doof Warrior is still number one, but uh, Eddie shredding up on top of the mobile home was very uplifting. It was great. It was a great use of Metallica. I, that's another thing. I, I like how the connection to the music and was something that it's not just something they made up uh this season because that's how will was first uh able to communicate with jonathan when he went through i think it was uh the kinks so i i i hadn't i i don't think i've ever heard uh running up that hill before in my life i don't remember that song at all it came out when i was a kid have you ever heard, had you ever heard that song? Uh, no, I, I definitely had not. But I do think that your point about music being the through line with the upside down is super creative and super fun. I mean, the scene where Max was so dramatically running with Kate Bush playing in the background at the end of the first half of the, or the first chunk of episodes they released there, she's sprinting towards the hole with the music blasting in the background, like, it was a little silly and over the top, but it was also super cool and like epic and awesome and sort of in that pure sense encapsulated what the show is about, which is kind of insane, terrifying, crazy, awesome stuff happening with the innocence and purity of these like children that it's happening to with wonderful background music. I really thought it was. Yeah, they do a great job incorporating the music and um using it well and i don't ever find it cheesy um i i just think it's that all that stuff is very well well done and super enjoyable the incorporation of music top to bottom in the show i have a question for you do do you want nancy to end up with jonathan or steve well obviously they really uh played up the revival of steve and nancy's relationship in this season and they definitely played down jonathan's uh how do you say they definitely Every, played everything down, his entire life got downplayed yeah, they downplayed jonathan's everything because now he's just a pot smoking bum or whatever he just um, got a weed pen and nothing's been the same ever since <laughs> it's that sugar purple bush or whatever they called it um 
But I, uh, you know, I don't think I want Nancy to end up with either of them, to be honest Ooh. with you. I think, I think obviously Jonathan isn't a right fit for numerous reasons. And I think they probably just got together because they got super traumatized together, which like totally makes sense. I think Steve might've come on a little strong there telling her that he wanted to have six babies with her. And I love Steve, but he's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how good of a match he and Nancy truly are outside of the fact that he isn't super depressed. Like Jonathan appears to be all the time. Like that seems to be the one thing that really sets them apart other than Steve's admittedly very good emotional intelligence. Like he's very emotionally, very emotionally intelligent guy, but I'm just not sure how well their personalities match. So I think it's secret option three. Everybody goes their separate, not their separate ways, but after next season, which I believe is the final season, there's going to be no interdating in this group. There's going to be, everybody's going to, you know, they'll be friends forever, but they will have their own individual relationships and lives that was not created and bonded with the trauma of the upside down. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. These guys, yeah, these people have been through so much together. I just, I don't know how any of them get away. Cause it's just, in, it's, it's so funny to watch them try and, when they bring other people into it and they just talk about, oh yeah, well the girl with the magic powers, she uh, she put the guy back in the upside down, and now we have to put her in a big ice bath. <laughs> it is that was that them explaining all that to uh, Eddie was one of my favorite parts this season. Yeah, but- anytime they have to bring in a new character and like explain this thing that this horrible, terrifying thing that they're like all okay with and just try try and make it make sense to a new person is always enjoyable and now they might need to make sense of it to an entire town of people because i don't really know how they're explaining away the i don't know complete rupture in the boundary between the upside down and the real world that resulted in a oh they they did actually explain it they said it was an earthquake but they're from that last shot of the finale, it seemed like the rifts were very much open, which seems to suggest that there's going to be an outpouring of these animals or whatever you would call the Demogorgons and the various subcategories of these monsters. They're going to be running free. Like, I don't know. Somebody's going to have to do some explaining at some point. It's probably not going to be the military who is still very much there and hunting after 11. That was a little plot loop that they left unresolved for the oh moment. yeah they're they're gonna want to bomb the town and uh, there's gonna have to be a lot of uh angry town hall meetings to try and get this through to all the regular townspeople but but it also seemed like a lot of them were leaving so maybe it'll just be our our favorite gang and they'll just be trying to tie up the upside down I mean, maybe the parents will finally get involved. They had a lot of screen time this season, comparatively. The the wheel the wheelers remain like the greatest dumb, smart parents ever, where they're just so oblivious to everything going on, and just anytime uh, the Mister Wheeler talks is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I've envisioning a town hall situation that you described, but with him at the head demanding to know what's happening. And I think everybody would love that and they should include that. Yes, he, he would want to hear from, he'd want to hear both sides and get a, get Vecna in there to explain why it's not so bad. <laughs> All right, so uh, one thing that Kyle and I have been doing, uh, this is 
this is not totally official, but if you if you feel strong enough, you can give this a rating uh, between zero and four stars. We'll have to think of something more creative than stars. I mean, we're writers, right? We we can come up with something better than that. But for now, we'll we'll go one to four stars. I think that Stranger Things season four, I'll give it a solid three stars. How about you? I'd give it a solid three stars as well. I think without that time jump at the end, it might inch a little bit closer to four. But as you've heard throughout the this podcast, there are some fundamental issues with things at large that I have. But overall, I mean, for a Stranger Things season, it was really good. And I think it sends up sets up a tremendous finale. And this, even more than season three, could be one of those seasons you look back on and consider it a four once the story is wrapped up.